Hello, and welcome to King's Talk presented by Captain Crown. This is Tony. With me, as always, we have John. It's a beautiful day outside, even though it might be a little cloudy. It's a beautiful day in Sacramento because the Kings are up 2-0 against the Warriors in the Western Conference quarterfinals. I, I'm i surprised they're up 2-0. Maybe a little. I did. I mean, <laughs> me and John gave predictions last week. We had, I had the Warriors winning in six. He had the Warriors winning in five, which already proves him wrong. At least I can still be right uh, if the Warriors win the next four. But, man, what a couple of games so far for the Kings to win both at home before heading to San Francisco. They've been electric games, some controversy in them, but it's like everything you could have really asked for in the Kings' first two games in the playoffs since 2006. And I'm just sitting here feeling absolutely terrific. Uh, and feeling decent about our chances tomorrow at the Chase Center. But John, enough about me. How are you feeling? I mean, you're right. I was I was wrong. I was, I'm wrong about so many different things in this series. I don't think so. I think, you, I think um, you're right on some things. Some things I'm right on. I, I, I you know, I, I'll give myself that. But uh, it maybe I, I shouldn't say I'm wrong. Just the the Warriors are hard to pin down. I think. They're, they're, all the momentum coming into the postseason, I don't know. We'll get into it. I kind of want to start by talking about something that we we, we mentioned, and it still kind of holds truth, but it, it, it seems like through these first two games, it seems like it's actually more of a problem for the other side. We came into this series going, you know, Sabonis is going to have to find a way to keep being the hub of the offense and, and, and facilitate and and help run things through him because the Kings can't expect Fox to be just working. I mean, the the sustainability of Fox, of playoff Fox, fourth quarter Fox, uh, was a concern. Like, even watching game one with him going off, it was just like, "Eh, is he going to be able to sustain this? He's putting in a lot of work. He's playing the best defense of the season, and he had a pretty good defensive season. He's getting his shots, getting to his spots late in the game, early in the game. Um, he settled for a few threes in game two, but, you know, it seems like the issue for questioning sustainability is not something that's directed at De'Aaron Fox. It seems something that's directed at Steph Curry at this point. I mean, everybody keeps talking about the Curry minutes and the Curryless minutes. The Warriors, I think, in this series are plus seven when Curry's in the game, and they're like minus 13 when he's out of the game. Uh, it's night and day difference. After game one, Golden State uh, fans were looking at it going, they lost that game because Curry wasn't in the game. And it's just like, as Steve Kerr said on Sunday in between game one and game two, it's like the answer is not playing Steph Curry 40 plus minutes. It's about handling the Steph Curry less minutes a little better. And nobody's really stepped up. <laughs> in fact, in game two, it seemed like a lot of guys took a step back. Wiggins in a starting role looked okay on defense, but near the end of the game, it's like offensive. I think he hit one off the side of the backboard. Yeah. You know, Clay Thompson will kind of like Clay Thompson. Will, like he was okay. He disappears though at times. I mean, anytime he'll disappear, it's like, it seemed like at one point I was like, where the hell is Clay? And then in the fourth quarter, he hit like two threes, but it's like more so looking at the bench, which is, it just seems like, I know Jordan Poole hurt his ankle in game one. And is, is is not quite himself, but where the hell has he been? 
You know, DiVincenzo had a bad game. Kaminga has not looked great. He didn't get a rebound in game one. They didn't seem like they trusted him too much in game two. They 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 keep trying to turn him into like a, a like a perimeter stopper, and he's just not that. I mean, the when Monk had his like spin step back layup or not layup three in the second quarter, mm-hmm. um, like Kaminga just <laughs> Kaminga just looked like. I mean, like, it was a great play by Monk. I don't want to take away from it. And a great screen and disruption by uh, Alex Len. But it's just like, the point is, seems like everything's on Steph Curry's shoulders. He's how old? 34, 35? I think he's 35, right? Yeah, or something like that. And it's just like, uh, if, I'm a, if, if I'm looking at this as a Warriors fan, I'm going, in the same way that we were saying before the series, can Fox sustain a certain level of play throughout the series and actually win? Can Curry? I mean, even if the Warriors eke out this series, you know, things change going back to the Chase Center. It's like, I don't think there's a lot of hope in Warriors land that the Warriors are going to be able to to repeat because it just seems like the wheels on the wagon are a little loose right now. And um, I think all the credit goes to the Kings. They just... That concept of making Curry work pays off. By the end of the game, he was worn out. I think he like aired one or was really short on his last three attempts. And he, he had a lot of misses. And, um, you know, he's old. It's the end of the season. I know he's had some, a lot of, like, didn't play like every game, obviously, was hurt and missed some time and whatnot. And that provides some freshness to the legs. But it's like Davion Mitchell said it after the game. Davion Mitchell, the guy who just was the MVP of game two, in my opinion. Noted, it's like all you can do, in the words of Mike Brown, is just make him work, make him work. And Davion said, it's like he's gonna wear out. I mean, he didn't say like hey, he's an old man. I'm like a young guy. I'm gonna totally outrun him and all that stuff. But it's like we all know what he's thinking. We all see it. And uh, seems like a massive concern for the Warriors. It just seems like Fox has help. Fox has a load of help. Guys have stepped up. It seems like everybody's played well that's touched the floor in this series, aside from maybe Keegan Murray. But that's kind of to be expected. Meanwhile, for the Warriors, it's like, you know, Wiggins is kind of up and down. Clay Thompson's not always there. And then it seems like everybody else has just, you know, dropped the ball. I mean, like Kevon Looney and Draymond Green play their defense, but you got to get some help for that for that Warriors uh, offense because they're not stopping the Kings, and the Kings are looking like the better defensive team. Which is surprising. <laughs> I was not expecting. Maybe offensive team, obviously, but... I mean that de- that de- that defense looking so good by the Kings was was obviously a major concern coming into the series. It's like, well, it, Kings have that offense, but we all know how their defense is. But I mean, that perimeter D has really stepped up. Yeah, you've seen some lapses, and that's also I mean, the Warriors make some good passes too, but they got some good plays. But yeah, that perimeter D and really just I mean, containing Steph Curry. It's, they're switching well onto him. Yeah, they have some a couple miscommunications, but I think I mean it's not. I don't even think they have done a great job on him so far. He went three for thirteen on Monday night. I think he's a little better on uh, Saturday. I don't remember his exact numbers, but I mean, just holding them the way they have is definitely let him go. Let him go up two games to zero, right? So. And if they can continue to do that, then yeah, they're they're gonna win this series, like you said. It's like the load is on Steph Curry, Clay Thompson's he's all right, and Wiggins has been decent too. But and so has Gary Payton. But other than that, like no one else is really stepping up for the Warriors. We're on the Kings. You got 
Fox, who had the second most points ever in a playoff debut. And then right behind him, Monk, who had the most points in a playoff debut as a reserve. Um, Sabonis comes back out in game two, scores 24. Trey Lyles had an excellent game one. Monk had a good game two after his game one. Fox obviously had a decent game two as well. Um, Mitchell, it's just like all these guys are just coming out and hitting. And except Murray and Herter, really. And it's like, dang, if you can get them going and everyone else even does like 75, maybe even 50% of what they did the first two games, like the, like the role player guys and Herter and Murray can get to like 75% of their usual form. I'm just throwing out numbers now, I feel like, but, uh, <laughs> it's like 75, maybe 66, but, um, no, honestly, if my but, calculations are correct. Yeah. But I mean, it, it just, everyone has looked so good really, except Murray in my opinion, but it's, uh, mm-hmm. the Kings are gonna be hard to beat when all those guys are clicking like that and playing good defense at the same time. Everybody's come out to play and, I think that was kind of always a possibility because we say it all the time. And when I say it was kind of a possibility, it wasn't one that anybody really wanted to clutch onto because, you know, you're going into uncharted territory in the playoffs, but it's like, we say it all the time. This team is defended in stretches. And when I say defended, like really look good defensively. And they've done that more or less in this series. They've been the better defensive team. They've been the more, physical team they've been the more the team with more urgency all the exact buzzwords that mike brown uses these guys have brought it and we've always you you see it in the road record you see it in their ability to kind of have nice moments and late in games like this team can turn things on when the adversity is up when the stakes are at its highest it was really just a question of like can they do it in the playoffs and it's like on their home floor, yeah, absolutely they can. It'll be interesting to see. There'll be a new challenge going to the Chase Center and facing a hostile playoff environment on the road. Uh, that's a first. But <laughs> they, even if they could have turned it on just like a little bit, it seemed like that was going to like make all the difference. But this team, it's like they've been pretty good through the first like 80% of the game. But really the thing that is really surprised me is just like I've kind of anticipated the games being pretty close going into the last you know four or five minutes of the game and the reason I picked the Warriors to go to win in five was that I felt like if that happens four or five times the Warriors are going to win pretty much every time I just thought that that's where the experience is going to come into play late in the game when things are crazy and, and things have a tendency to kind of go over the heads of younger and experienced players and teams, I thought that's where the Warriors were going to just capitalize. And it's the opposite. The Kings have, like, Fox was getting to his spots in the fourth quarter. Add to that the fact that they were getting stops and just hounding Steph Curry and trying to let somebody else beat him, and nobody could. I mean, like, there's – it seems like the – you'd almost get the sense that the Warriors are content just putting up these threes without any without much space and with a hand in their face that they look lazy and they're settling on their shots. And maybe they have been a little bit. But it's just like this Kings defense has just been turned on. And it just – that urgency just builds up. And everything's just gone the way exactly you'd need it to. It's crazy. I would not have expected the team to defend – to be the better defensive team, the Kings that is nor would I have expected them to be the the closers that they are. And 
they're just too much to handle. It seems like at least in those first two games in a really, really loud building. I mean, yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. It's crazy. I mean, I'm still hyped after Monday's win. Um, But I'm, I'm, I'm excited for Thursday going to the chase center in you know, a hostile environment. Um, but the Kings, the best road record, road record in the West. Um, the Warriors, of course, are a really good home team, but I think, I think the Kings can hang with them really. And they, they love adversity and it's not going to get more adverse than this. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that's like, you want to say, the old wisdom is, you know, a series doesn't start until a road team wins. You know, the Kings took care of business. It's time for the Warriors to take care of business. And it's like, well, if we're talking about that urgency thing that backs up against the wall, I mean, like you're just saying there, it's heightened now that they're on the road. Who's to say the Kings don't actually play better now? Now, of course, I think the Warriors are going to play better on at home. Um, but that's definitely a factor. And yeah. Those two games could not have gone any better. I mean, like, of course, you'd probably rather see them hit their shots at a more consistent clip or a more efficient clip. Um, they settled on some threes early. But other than that, I mean, they're, they're pushing the pace. They're doing it all. They're, they're playing the game that they want to play, and which is not super far off from the Warriors game. And they just the Kings just look like the, the better. They, they play that brand of basketball better. They take control better and i don't know it's been crazy it's been i just did not did not expect it and i'm so happy just as an observer to be able to watch this because it's just like this is just such a fun series and uh yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens in in san francisco in game three yeah i mean i think one of the things that's been really interesting about the home crowd and like the way I the way going into this, I'm gonna sound like oh, I didn't expect the Gold One Center to be so loud. Like, of course, I expected Sacramento fans to go crazy, but I thought with the proximity to the Warriors, the fact that there's so many Warriors fans throughout Northern California, I didn't expect the home court advantage to be as dominant as like so one sided. I think De'Aaron Fox even said after game one, he was surprised there wasn't more Warriors fans. So I'm not crazy in saying this. I think some people would really agree with me. And that, like, I guess in that sense that we didn't anticipate the most one-sided crowd for the Kings, the most, there's such a loud, raucous crowd. Uh, The road struggles of the Warriors, just, I didn't anticipate that really translating. And I mean, one of the things is, is people complain that the Warriors just don't defend on the road. So going back home, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Do you think, I was kind of thinking about this. I mean, do you, and it probably wasn't a reason that ticket prices were so high in Sacramento, but it's like the ticket prices were high. And if you're a Warriors fan, I mean, wouldn't you rather just spend half that money at a home game instead of rooting for them on the road and spending double your money? I think that yeah. played a a decent part in keeping Warriors fans out. And, I mean, it looks like it paid off. Because, yeah, there, I, mean, I mean, there's a ton of Warriors fans in Sacramento. You run into them all the time because the Kings were, you know, garbo forever, and the Warriors were winning ring after ring. So I was expecting I a right. lot more Warriors fans too, but I think that price really 
it's like, well, might as well just go to the Chase Center at this rate. Yeah, I would just say that the thing about the prices is they, they know Kings fans will pay that. They, they don't give a shit about what If Warrior fans want to pay it, they'll pay it. I don't know if that was necessarily uh, to keep Warriors fans out. It was They knew they had a hot commodity to sell. But I think you're right. That, that probably kept them out. And also, I think there was a concerted effort from the fan base. I mean, you heard like Matt Barnes say it, like other people say it. It's like, don't, if you're going to resell your tickets, which a lot of people did because they, you know, uh, we're going to make an opportunity. I mean, that's the world. That's the, that's the country we live in. And uh, I just think they did a good job of verifying, you know, I mean, people, they, 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 they clutch onto their colors and, you know, so I think they, 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 you got to give the fans credit, I guess, in that regard, they really kept away from played a good game of keep away from Warriors fans, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I <laughs> that it is who's gonna come and quote unquote invade Sacramento for like three thousand dollars. Yeah. I'm not gonna pay that much money to invade somebody. I mean like what? And then have to hang out in downtown Sacramento afterwards. Yeah. Where everybody's going crazy. Dude, do you see that? I mean, you probably saw it off a of Bleacher Report. I mean, did you see the, just the crowd outside the Golden One Center? I saw like glimpses. I heard about it more than anything. Like just media members talking to players and stuff like that. I mean, it, it yeah. sounded crazy. It sounded yeah, like right up there with the team meeting the Kings at the airport, but on a way bigger scale. Yeah, it's insane. So, the, I mean, these fans... Like myself, I mean, we deserve this. We've waited forever. We've stuck through them through thick and thin, and you know, it's all, it's all finally, it's all starting to finally pay off. Um, and we're right there to support them every way. It's just been such a great experience. And it's just so fun. I mean, it, it was 17 years ago when the Kings made the playoffs last. I was nine years old. It's like my first. I don't. It's just such a like a weird experience. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know how this feels. Like, I don't know how downtown's gonna look. It's. It's never happened uh, since the arena's been there. So it's just like, I'm just like realizing all these things because, you know, I'm a Dodgers fan. I'm a Rams fan. And yeah, the Rams were bad for a while too. But it's like, at least we made the playoffs and won a Super Bowl and the Dodgers, you know, playoff team. It's like, that's just normal. But this whole experience as a Kings fans in the playoff, it's like, it's honestly a whole new experience as an adult. I was just too young for those early 2000s teams to really get it. So uh, it's just been so awesome. And I mean, it sucks to have waited that long. Right. But it definitely makes it a lot sweeter too. Yeah. I, I mean, the celebrations, I mean, absolutely earned every, every bit of, it. I mean, just the weirdness of it. I think you think it's weird. Anytime you're watching like TNT, ABC, ESPN coverage, and you're hearing like the, and they're like, and so and so versus the Kings, like the Kings. What yeah. with that music in the background? It's just weird. It really does. It does feel bizarre. It feels like you're kind of in a dream or something because it just doesn't seem real. It's real, but it doesn't seem real. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's been an awesome experience. I've been having the time of my life watching these last couple of games, and so I said I can't wait for tomorrow. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be interesting. Um, I think one of the things that uh is going to be interesting about game three is well, for one, I think you said this before we started recording, but there was some rumblings about whether or not Draymond green would get suspended. And we'll get to the whole incident in a second, but just kind of thinking about game three and 
what to consider here ahead of time in terms of kind of outside the X's and O's. It does not appear that Draymond, or there's a good chance Draymond Green doesn't get suspended for the uh, the stomp. And everybody was pointing to the fact that, you know, Adam Silver was in the audience. Uh, he's, he saw, he witnessed all that. There's no way Draymond's not going to get a suspension. And it's just like, you, you don't know what the NBA is you think that <laughs> yeah it's the opposite adam silver was there he saw what he did he fired it up he, draymond firing up the crowd and everything like that and <laughs> all that stuff you know he's thinking man if we could extend this series and uh, in the same light that they suspended draymond green what in 2016 when lebron james disrespectfully stepped over draymond green and draymond stood up for himself regardless what you think about draymond green draymond green had every right to stand up for himself literally stand up for himself and he got suspended because everybody's like, he hit LeBron in the balls. Everybody <laughs> posts that <laughs> screenshot, and it's just like, that's not not, ex- not at all what happened. In the same light that they would suspend him for that, they're not going to suspend him for stomping on, on Domas's abdomen. There's just no way. And another point, like, Warriors fans were complaining like oh the, the the refs which is just so ironic because it's like listening to kings fans all season in home games hearing saying ref you refs you suck in unison like every game it's kind of ironic that warriors fans are like no we lost because of the refs um one of the things that regardless if the officiating's right or not another thing that's going to play into this is under the pretense that the, the, the league would want to extend the series and you can people can disagree with me they can ask me where the evidence is for that i mean other people see it as it is um, under the assumption that they're going to want to extend the series. Part of the reason, for, part of the things that they're going to do is they're going to, they're going to have that game officiated way differently. They're going to be far more uh, trigger happy with their whistles, especially I wouldn't be surprised if they try to keep it both sided, but they're going to give the warriors a little bit, a little bit of help if they have to, I would point to, I think it was like three minutes left in the game, maybe two minutes left in the game maybe less than two minutes. Um, it was late in the game. Domas, who's, we didn't give credit to talking about the defense there a second ago, who's done a nice job when he's had to switch on. He's done a decent job in terms of just doing what he needs to do on defense. And he slid in in front of the restricted area, heel above the line and took a charge. And then the officials got together and overturned it. And it was such a peculiar overturn because it was like, um, it seemed like, you know, they always say that, like, can a, does, a, is a, does a call stand or is it overturned? It seemed like there was not disputable, undisputable evidence to overturn that call. And it was so bizarre because the referees got together. That should be a caution. That should be a real foreshadowing for what I'm saying. The NBA knows that this is a really good series. They know people are talking about it. And it's a first-round series, too. So it's like they're really – it's not like a Western Conference final or a final. It's like they're cashing in early, and that means that they'll cash in far more overall. Just just be aware of that. I, w- <laughs> I think that the, the idea of extending the series is very much on the mind of the league. Yeah. Is that crazy? Am I am I it's No, it's it's, it's always for money. I mean, you said it. I mean, they they suspended Draymond and what for game 5 of the 16 finals to hopefully extend that series and look what happened. The Cavs came back down 3-1. Could that have happened if Draymond was suspended? I don't know. The Warriors could have closed out in 5. We don't know. So yeah, I mean, the refs are going to do what the NBA wants and tells them and I agree. I, I think 
I think the Kings got a lot of friendly whistles in game two. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they what had in the third quarter, five fouls in a minute and 42 seconds, which is absolutely yeah. insane. Um, not sure if all of those were deserved, but yeah, I, I, you can definitely see it going the other way for the Warriors in the Chase Center. Uh, at and their it's home. not, and it's not that the referees are like, oh, we can't let the Kings win. It's, it's literally has nothing to do with any of wanting one team to win over the other. It's about maximizing the profits, the opportunity to make profits, advertising, you know, all the intrigue, you know, it's, it's drawn in. I mean, people that haven't watched these first two games, they're damn sure going to tune in for game three if they can, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. People that aren't watching it, they're hearing about it. They're seeing it, that, that stomp, the response from Draymond. I mean, that was at the end of the day, like that's, you know, a heel in WWE attracting viewers, essentially. And the NBA knows what it's got. Um, but, you know, they're always going to be looking for money. Uh, I think they're it's probably business. fair. Yeah, exactly. They're an they're, they're entertainment business, uh, you know. Very true. Uh, we were moving on to the stomp, weren't we? Yes. it's. I think it's time to talk about the stomp. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's very controversial, a little more controversial than I feel like it should be. Um, I feel I like fair. I think breaking it down at the end of the day, uh, Sabonis, you know, fell to the floor. Maybe he didn't need to. Um, I, and I think he knew what he was doing. He was going to he was trying to grab Draymond to stop him. Right. And Draymond knew this clearly. Um, and then. Instead of just falling over or whatever, he just stomped on his chest or his ab or his ribs or whatever, right? And then got ejected for it. Um, <laughs> I've seen people, I don't know, I, I see a lot of people trying to defend it, but it's just kind of like a bad like defense. It's like, yeah, well, it, like he deserves it. Okay. Yeah. Well, let, let's put it like, this way. Yeah. You the, break it down the, Warriors, the Warriors had the chance to be the victims. Draymond Green had the chance to have the case against Sabonis, and he ruined it. Sabonis flopped to the floor. Watch the replay, uh, people at home. Don't argue with me. Watch the replay. He fell to the floor. That's part of the game, too, um, flopping, unfortunately. Fell to the floor. He had Draymond's leg kind of locked into his arms. Uh, Draymond's trying to run back down the floor, no doubt. And with his balance off, there was a good chance that he was going to make contact with Sabonis with his foot in some manner or trip. And tripping would have been the smart thing. That would have been the, if you were going to purposefully do something, tripping would have been the smart thing. Everybody was posting the clip of Dylan Brooks having his leg held by Chris Middleton. Uh, Brooks fell, got the foul called. You know, they had their little like bickering afterwards, but boom, there it was. It worked out in the favor as it should be. But Draymond ruined it all by making an accentuated, emphatic every every movement like so forced in in his you know demonstrative stomp on Sabonis, <laughs> and then like the little like bounce off. It was just everything was going the Warriors' way in terms of like yeah okay he, should, he definitely shouldn't be grabbing the guy's leg, um, and it just got ruined by the fact that he 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 stepped on him and stomped on him like i don't want to use adrian Rojanowski's words i mean he stomped on him and uh the penalties came out flagrant one for sabonis rightfully so flagrant two ejection 
I think it was just a tech on Sabonis. Okay. Well, uh, the 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 requisite penalties came out. Boom. You know, it's just like, I guess my point is, is like, you de- dumbass, you did not have to stomp on him. Like, if I'm Draymond's, like, if I was Draymond's, like, little Jiminy Cricket, I would be like, you know, like the voice in his head. That's, that's a little Jiminy Cricket sounds weird. But, um, <laughs> you know, like, I'd be like, what, you dumbass. Everything was in your favor at that point. You could have gotten all the sympathy in the world and you just blew it. And um, I think in terms of defense, like, you know, like his teammate, like Steph Curry was like, yeah, you know, like, I don't know what you're supposed to do when someone grabs your leg. It's like, dude, I, I can tell you what you shouldn't do. <laughs> you know, Clay Thompson kind of said the same thing. He's like, that's not cool. You can't grab a guy's leg. And it's like Clay still went on and was like, well, that's not, I'm not saying that what Draymond did was right. It's like, well, what are you saying? Yeah, like, exactly. Domas, Domas wasn't right in doing what he did. Draymond was definitely not right in doing what he did. That's not the way to respond. And I just think yeah. that's that's just, that's the way it is. Yeah, and, and now and you see Draymond's having because uh, uh, Sabonis is having X-rays for his you know chest or ribs or wherever he got stepped on or stomped on, and then it came out that. Uh, Draymond's coming out and he's going to have x-rays for his ankle because it's, it's sore now after the incident. And just like, bro, like, I don't know. He's just kind of pissing me off. I, he knows what he's doing too. And, uh, or he just, and he like reposted to his story, like the incident. He's like, it's just a clean basketball play. And it's like, oh God, he's just pissing me off. And it's like, you know what? He's triggering me and he's exactly what he's trying to do. He's trying to be a little oh, troll. Yeah. He knows what he's doing and it's working. Oh, yeah. And that's why he's who he is, right? But I don't know. It's oh, just yeah. like, I just, as a as a objective man, I feel like I am. And also a subjective Kings fan. Um, it's just like, come on. Like, he clearly stomped on them. Whether Sabonis held them or not. Because some people are like, well, he was just trying to cover his face. And maybe, maybe he was. I think he was... I think he knew what he was doing um, and trying to hold him down. And, I, and at the same time, like, like he shouldn't have held him down. Like, sorry, I didn't see uh, Sabonis uh, when Draymond fell on Sabonis in game one at the end of the game. I didn't see Sabonis get up and fucking sucker punch Draymond in the face after that or something. You know, it's, it wasn't like he Draymond was doing the same shit all series so far. And so he does this and he gets a stomp to the chest. So. It's just it's just inexcusable, and I, I don't even know whether it's this much of a debate on it. Um, I don't know. It's it's frustrating. I, would, I find it annoying. I I totally agree, and I would I would say that this this you could turn a corner here and take a very very not I wouldn't even say like an optimistic light on the Kings. Like I'd say a very the Kings showed a lot about their character here, um, because you know. That happens, and like I think you know, Mike Brown was like, "Yeah, it was definitely a flagrant too." He didn't really touch on it too much. Uh, Fox kind of didn't really touch on it too much either. Post game, he just said like that that shouldn't happen. And then Sabonis initially was like, "Whatever, like this is the playoffs. This is what it's all about," which I thought was a great answer. And then after the game, he just kind of noted, "He's like, yeah, that doesn't have a probably watch the replay." Uh, he he uh, was like, "Yeah, that doesn't have a place in the game." Other than that, the Kings have. State, you know, they've focused on the task at hand. They're, they, and it's like what you said there. You're like Draymond knows what he's doing. He's trying to instigate stuff. So it's therefore very important that the Kings 
not get their feathers, you know, fluffed up here. And, you know, after the Trey Lyles, Brooke Lopez kerfuffle, um, you know, I was critical of Lyles in that situation because I'm like, let it go, like whatever, you know? And I was, I was worried that like, especially, and I didn't really think about it coming into the series, but it's like, you know, you have that kind of instance where, you know, I get the whole, I do get the argument that it's like, it was nice to see the Kings stand up for each other. I totally see that side, but it was like, you can't react that way. So I think knowing that and seeing the way the Kings have reacted, and maybe it's because they're winning, but you know, the way that they have reacted with this, the way that they've kind of just kept their eye on the target, or at least that's how it seems. I just think that that deserves a bunch of praise. I just think that that's a sign of maturity. And I think that's credit to Mike Brown, but it's also credit to just the way that Sabonis and Fox are talking about it. I mean, like they, they know they, they, we, they all saw what we saw. They experienced what we experienced. Um, but they, they, their eyes are down the road. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways here is how the Kings have responded to this. Cause they could get irked, you know, they could yeah. f- essentially feed into what green's doing. And um, they haven't. And also, wrote about it in the recap it's like talk about responsiveness i mean like when Draymond was firing up the crowd egging it all on and everybody's kind of started fearing stuff like what's gonna happen here like this is getting crazy and one of the biggest things was like how are the how are each team gonna respond i thought the warriors would be fine like the warriors would experience it they'd probably honestly kind of get a little invigorated i was really worried like what are the kings gonna do are they gonna start swinging for the fences or just kind of have the emotions get the best of them. No, no issue. They closed out the game. Like we said earlier, they were again, the better team in the final four minutes of the game. And I just think that that is something that, because I think you're right. Like everybody's kind of overblowing this. It's a big, not overblowing it because what Draymond did was ridiculous. And I'm a personally a big Draymond fan. People probably hate me for that, but um, it was ridiculous. But you know, the thing is that, uh, I think that's the main takeaway that people should be taking away because it's just like that just feeds into the whole like, like I watched game three, but it's just like, man, the Kings, I'm very impressed with the way the Kings comported themselves during and in the aftermath of that. Yeah. And I, I think especially after that incident, it's like the Kings, you kind of have to win this game and it could affect the series, the winner of that game. Um, like Draymond, he was ejected. So it's like, okay, that's already you're up one off of that. You have to defense a bonus, and you need to get this win. Draymond's firing up the crowd. If the Kings lose that game on Monday night, I, I don't, I don't, you lose a lot of confidence in that series because you you should have won it. You need to defense a bonus and take advantage of Draymond getting injected. And um, it just felt nice that they were able to go out and do it because the Warriors. I mean, after that. After that incident, Sabonis missed his free throws and Steph made the technical. And then I think Gary Payton the second hit a three after that to tie the game up, like right after. So I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. shoot. Like the Warriors actually might run away with this because, you know, the Warriors got fired up by it, too. And I don't know. I, I honestly I feel a lot better about the series after winning that game. And I would have felt a lot be- worse about it if they had lost. I think it was a very pivotal moment. And. I could see the Kings really coming out with the uh, victory after that too, especially going up 2-0 after that as well. They took care of business and they didn't let anything get, get out of their reach. They just, they kept everything contained and that was just, just terrific. I mean, yeah, it seemed precarious there. You know, the, it was kind of a, I called it a one point swing after that because of the Curry free throw and Sabonis's two misses. 
mm-hmm. plus the, the 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 tie. It was precarious as hell, and guys just kind of assumed the right position and they 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 took care of things. It, may, it makes for good entertainment, I guess, if everybody wants to focus on the stomp itself, who was right, who was wrong. But man, the way the Kings handled that, I think, is the big takeaway. That was pretty mm-hmm. cool. It was awesome. Thinking beyond that, you know, um, I don't know. We got a couple of different things we could talk about. Um, Anything kind of tickling your fancy that you want to talk about right now? Or should I just? No, you know who I really want to talk about? And maybe not even just this guy, but just, I mean, I I was going to say Davion Mitchell. But I also just want to say, like, the bench in general has been so good this series from Davion to Monk to Trey Lyles and even to Alex Lynn. And we were talking about that backup five being like, well, is it actually going to be Lynn or is it going to be Metu? But man, Alex Lynn has looked so good off the bench and uh, in the reserve for Sabonis. And he's getting the Warriors fit. They just, they really don't have anyone to guard him. He's just way bigger than everyone. And he's being productive on both sides of the floor. One defensive player at the game, he got the chain in the first game, and he's looked great. And then Trey Lyles had that great game one. Um, didn't he wasn't as productive on the offensive end in game two? But that you know what I really like about Trey in these in this series so far is he's he's grabbing those rebounds, but he's snatching them down and making sure no one else can poke him away. Because you've seen it a couple times now where someone lazily grabs one and gets poked away. But when Trey Lyles goes up for a rebound, he is coming down with it. And that's something I've really respected because some of these rebounds, it's like, oh, my God. Like, giving up an offensive board in this series is big. Um, Monk, <laughs> I mean. Yeah, ask the Warriors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, Malik Monk has uh, obviously just looked fantastic. 32 points in game one. Um, I don't what he score, like 18 on, in game two. I don't remember, but it was still. That was second still, quarter, though, was just. Yeah. Huge because they scored 17 in the first, and it's just like Monk kind of seemed like he set them back on the right track. You know, yeah, he was going yeah. off. I mean, he hit like three straight yeah. shots, forced yeah. a timeout, and I think he went like over three after that. But, um, that was this kind is, of enough. That's the, the be- exactly the beauty of Malik Monk, mm-hmm. really on full display. Yeah, and obviously know. he's looked good. I, I I said it before this. I'm like Malik Monk is a guy who has not been in the playoffs yet, but he he's gonna thrive in it. It's just his atmosphere. He's a very optimistic guy. Kind of, he just seems like a guy who's gonna live for the big moment and not be afraid of it. He's he's a guy who wants the spotlight on him. Um, and I mean he he's shown that he showed that in game one big time, and is uh, he showed it in game two, and I expect him to keep showing it throughout the whole postseason. But Davion Mitchell, and we were kind of talking about Davion Mitchell a little uh, in this podcast at the beginning, but man, his defense has been so good. But I was so happy to see him knocking down threes this series because it allows him to play in the closing lineup. And if you can have him in the closing lineup against Steph while also being a guy who can knock down a shot and make a bucket and not be like that, it's like, okay, it's four on five defense, you know, or offense. Like sometimes you say when Davion's in the closing lineup, like he hit that, he hit the dagger in game two mm-hmm. to end it, really. It was mm-hmm. threw, him up, threw him up nine with like a minute and a half left, maybe a little over a minute. When Davion can, when he can show that he's a threat on offense, at least just to score or hit an open three. I mean, that's just, I mean, of course he's going to be in the closing lineup. He's your best defender, especially with Steph Curry out there. 
the the bench. I, it's just been. I, I mean, the Foxes look great, and Sabonis had a really good game too, and, and he had a good game one. He grabbed sixteen boards, which shouldn't be overlooked. But I mean, and and Barnes has looked decent too. But that bench, I mean, they're I think they're the reason we're winning this series so far because they've outperformed the Warriors bench big time. Yeah, and it's... I feel like you can get a little more into the Warriors bench. Oh man, I mean, the Warriors bench has been a massive letdown. That seemed like the area that had the most momentum with like Wiggins coming back. So it was like, either you're going to have Wiggins coming off the bench or you're putting Dante DiVincenzo back on the bench. And you know, like game one, I mean, DiVincenzo was the starter, so I can't even really like refer to him as a bench player. I mean, he played well in game one. Wiggins was about, he's done about as well as you can ask the guy to play. I mean, he really kind of had the offense going early in game one, kind of petered out near the end, played pretty good defense in game two, but again, it kind of looked like he was petering out offensively speaking in game two Gary Payton the second was not a big factor in game one he was a good he played well in game two Kaminga didn't get a rebound in game one didn't get much play time who else am I missing there oh 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 yeah oh you know who I'm missing the guy who's been missing all series Jordan Poole <laughs> one for seven last I mean he rolled his ankle in game one Clay Thompson referred to him as playing on like half a foot or whatever uh I don't care if he's hurt or not. The Warriors need him to score off the bench, especially in those non-Curry minutes. And he hasn't. And one of the things that I just think is, I'm not a big fan of Jordan Poole. I like a lot of these players on the Warriors. Jordan Poole is not somebody I'm a big fan of. And I think game two demonstrated that. Not only was he a non-factor, but he's talking to the refs the whole time. I think when Sabonis was taking his two free throws after the, the stomp, they cut to him. I don't know if they – because I think you were watching com, uh, NBC Sports, but on the TNT broadcast, they cut to him. And he's doing like the little juju fingers. You can read his lips. He's like, he's going to miss both. He's going to miss both. And he's just this like little animated little sucker. And it's like, you know, that'd be cute, man, if you were putting up 18 a game like you'd <laughs> average in the season. But you're just – you're literally sh- – if you are if you were playing a half a foot, you're putting your team in a situation where they're playing on half a foot because you're shooting them in the foot right now. He's been absolutely terrible. I don't care if his foot's hurt or not, or his ankle or whatever it is. It's just, it's been absolutely just bonkers in terms of just the disparity there. Because I really anticipated, and I never was taking anything away from the Kings bench. I just thought the Warriors were coming in. They were going to be able to match things. I thought they would have a way better, uh, do a way better job of focusing on limiting Monk. In game one, it's like they hadn't freaking changed the scouting report on Monk since his time with the Hornets and Lakers. Yeah, Because after, you know, Draymond's like, yeah, I mean, we were like focused on him as a three-point shooter. What's he doing? He's getting downhill, uh, hooking guys up with assists, finishing at the rim, getting 14 free throw attempts. And it's like, dude, who, who fire whoever was doing the scouting report. Yeah. Monk, like what the hell? And like, they did a little bit of a better job on him in game two, but Monk still had a Malik Monk game. He still had a six man, you know, type game. And it's just like, I don't know. Like, I think you're right. I mean, that's been one of the big disparities. It's like, and it highlights those non-Curry minutes. It's just, it, it's 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 bad because, you know, even if Lyles doesn't hit threes, like you said, he's rebounding. He's a smart defender. Davion Mitchell's always going to bring that defense. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. If he's hitting that offense and you get him in that closing lineup, that's going to be big in the playoffs. We saw that last night or on Monday night. Um, Freaking, just talking about Malik Monk. Alex Lynn. 
I mean, like one of the things that was surprising about him in the last eight games of the re- regular season when it's like was like this guy moves well. He runs the floor well, but better than I thought. He moves around on offense and defense pretty well, but way better than I thought. Um, his mobility as a defender is great. He puts himself in the right position, and then he's just so big. I don't know. It's just that size has really made a huge difference against the Warriors when it seemed anticipated that it could be a mismatch. And it, I don't know, man. It's just it could not have gone any different. Because I was saying this last week. I'm like, that bench thing's going to be a big difference. That's going to be a big difference maker because the Warriors are coming in all hot and everything like that. And psh, two games in, I'm just fucking it – went, it went the opposite way. The Kings – the Kings are just, they look so good. And also, even if the Warriors bench is playing the way it is, I mean, like, if Jordan Poole is scoring and DiVincenzo's doing his his thing and Gary Payton's making a difference on defense and hitting open threes and whatnot and having energy plays, you know, even if that's happening, the one thing that stood out was the Kings actually might be the deeper team. Because <laughs> you think about it with the Warriors, they have, like, the rookies and they have, like, Anthony Lamb. You're not going to see those guys ever. The Warriors can only go eight or nine deep. I mean, like you saw Moses Moody. He kind of had some energy moments. I mean, he came in and contributed to those like five fouls because he got early tread in the third quarter because I think Draymond got into foul trouble. Mm -hmm. And uh, And so did Looney. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is uh, the Kings kind of already seemed like they were the deeper team, but where it mattered, it seemed like the Warriors had more meat on the bones. And that's just not been the case. And in, in terms of kind of Curry putting this huge load on his shoulders that's unsustainable, I think the bench more than anybody, probably Jordan Poole more than anybody, has contributed to that. And the Warriors got to figure something out. Somebody's got to come in and help. And that bench is just yeah, – they've earned themselves a really, really poor grade in these first two games. I, I always kind of knew. I was like the Kings bench. I was, I was saying that last week. I'm like, they have a – they have a good bench, and I mean, I'm not saying the Warriors don't, but I mean, I'm not as surprised, but I am definitely, I definitely am surprised a little because I mean, they have been kind of non-factors, really. Yeah, just how bad Golden State's bench has been. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's awful. It's terrible. When Kerr says we got to figure out the non-Curry minutes out, we got to make those better. He said that after Game One, but. It, I'm sure it, that's that thought has still remained and um, man, they got to be looking at that bench. So, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what the Warriors do. You saw a little bit of Jermichael Green, which I kind of thought might happen. Uh, he didn't do anything. I think he only played about a minute. He's got good length and defense, but he got no chance on the boards against Domas. I think you'll see a lot of Moses Moody. You'll need to. Um, but it's interesting because the Warriors, in terms of Len, they just don't have... Like they're two the two bigs they play are Looney and fucking Draymond, and it's just like, man, I don't know what they're gonna do to to match Lynn because it ain't gonna be Anthony Lamb, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I think I saw s- s- some Warriors fans going like, I, I, I want to see Anthony Lamb and in, in Game Three. I'm like, what? <laughs> you do? You want to lose? <laughs> No, your best chance is to play Moody and see what the kid can do. The you know the lottery pick that you have that you never play. Yeah, I don't know. The bench, yeah. Like I said, and, and Davion was the MVP, I think, in Game Two, and you can make the argument that outside of Fox, Monk has been the biggest impact player through this series so far. And 
that's just that's huge. And just underscoring Mitchell because I think Mitchell's the real important one. And kind of just like focusing in on Davion Mitchell here. We talked about it. That defense can be a huge weapon in the playoffs. And if he can put himself in a position to close games, all the better. And we were talking about it with Keegan Murray. Like, well, if Keegan Murray can get a little bit of confidence in the playoffs at some point, that's going to really do a lot for him in a jump towards year two. I mean, hell, that is the case for Davion Mitchell more than anything right now. The confidence that he's built since February and that, that, that is now growing at a rapid pace. I'm excited to see what this guy does for the rest of the series. I know he's ready to bring it. He's young. He's fresh. That's his job. He loves playing defense. It's awesome. You can see it translated on the screen. I'm so pumped to see what this guy does in a jump for year three. And this guy, he's just been freaking awesome. And uh, garnering the attention of all sorts of people around the league. I know Kendrick Perkins is a big fan of him because I think Kendrick Perkins tweeted about Davion Mitchell when he was playing in the summer league. So he's probably had his eye on him throughout, but he, 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 I don't remember what he said exactly, but he's just like, this guy is built for this, you know? And it's just like, seems like Mm -hmm. it. It seems like it. The game gets tougher. The defense matters more. It's not crazy that Davion Mitchell would step into it. And just the, the confidence and comfort he's shown on offense has been great. Hitting the, he was, I think he hit the first three for the Kings in game one. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in game two, like he missed his first couple ones, stuck with it. He was doing it. The Warriors were letting him just pull up from mid-range on a couple attempts. And it's like he eats that up. I feel like he's been shooting like 90% on mid-range shots since the All-Star break. Obviously, he hasn't, but it's it seems like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Fox, Monk, and Mitchell have been so fun to watch in this this series. And I mean, that's that's so exciting to think about what Davion is going to be able to do from this experience regardless of where the where the kings go in this playoff series or in these uh playoffs uh davion mitchell is setting himself up for a huge jump yeah he really is especially on the offensive end but um you know a guy that hasn't really shown up i mean the two guys that didn't play super well in game one were herder and keegan murray herder went two of nine from three in game two but he did a nice job of kind of forcing his way into the paint, getting jumpers in there. I think he hit like two or three. And I think he had 14 points. And he was a... He was I think a, he had 15. 15? Oh. Oh, I'm way off. <laughs> Did the cat tell you that? Yeah. You hear She said, yeah, an idiot. <laughs> it was 15, I think. Yeah, I could be wrong. But I that think it was, was, though. Well, in the mid-teen uh, range, I guess, that Herder was there. Played earnestly on defense. Um, was solid. And then outside of a few rebounds in game two, Keegan Murray is really just not showing up, which again was kind of to be expected. But it's going to get a lot more difficult being in a hostile environment in San Francisco, at the Chase Center. Um, I think we both made the prediction, totally agreed that it's like Murray might struggle for a game or two or maybe three. Uh Thinking about the way he's played, thinking about what's to come, switching settings here. Do you still believe Keegan Murray is going to figure it out, make a big jump, or is it going to be a gradual thing? I mean, what do you, what do you, what, what's your, what's your feeling on Keegan Murray for the rest of the series and potentially beyond it? I don't know if it's going to be a big jump. Like, I don't know if we're going to watch him tomorrow. He's going to drop like, I would say a big game for him is like fifteen points. I just, mm-hmm. I mean. 
I think we were talking about it earlier. It's like he kind of just needs one three to fall down, and then maybe he can start. You know, that confidence builds up. And he took one shot on Monday night, which is crazy. Um, mm-hmm. He needs to definitely get a little more involved. He just, I mean, he's throwing up one shot as a starter. It's, there's an issue there. Um, and I, I see something more gradual until he really builds that confidence up. Um, I kind of like what you were saying last week when you're like, we we're kind of talking about how Murray's going to go in as a rookie. And you're like, he's probably going to suck the first two games. But, like, this is a guy who has really shown, like, maturity and, you know, he doesn't play, I guess, necessarily like a rookie. He's beyond his years. And so I could see him kind of getting back in that mindset in game three and maybe four and throughout the series after. But I don't think it's going to be just like, Kiki Murray drops 35 points tonight. (laughs) I mean, clearly. I mean, when is he ever? But (laughs) um, he just needs to be, he just needs to be himself. He needs to take those open shots and, not turn the ball over too. I feel like he had one or two turnovers, and you you usually don't see that from him. Um, and just to get more involved, just in general. So, mm-hmm. I think that will lead to bigger numbers, of course. And it's going to start off small, but it's, he's going to get back to looking like the normal Keegan Murray, twelve points on three threes or something like that, right? But just good defense and crashing the boards along with it. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, like it's going to take one, three to go down. Um, I think the Warriors are doing a great job of guarding him on the perimeter. I mean, the one shot he got off was a two. It was not a three. So I think Clay Thompson's been guarding him a lot. And um, they, they've just probably, they're looking at it like, just don't give him an open three. And they really haven't. I mean, he had a few in game one that he missed again is kind of to be expected but it's like uh w- one of the reasons he like in november when he was struggling it seemed like you know obviously a lot of stuff came from off the court but just thinking about on the court once that three failed to fall it 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 locked up his game because the three unlocks his game he, the strides that he made kind of as a guy that was going to the rim and trying to put the ball on the floor more in january and february and march that all came from the fact that he's shooting over 41% from three. You take that three ball away. I mean, like there was a point where he tried to dribble in. <laughs> like Thompson had no trouble trouble with him. I mean, Thompson's not the same defender he used to be, but he had no trouble just staying in front of Murray. So that three ball is obviously key because then it'll allow him to kind of get into other kind of like two-man game situations. And I think, you know, the Warriors mm-hmm. have said it. The Kings have pointed it out. The DHO is a huge focus. The, the Warriors have if they've done anything well in this series, they've done such a great job limiting DHOs with Herter and Murray. And you take that away from Murray, you take the three ball, you take the ability to kind of have shots set up for you uh, in an easy manner. All of a sudden things become more difficult, but you know, he's not going to get down on himself. He's a confident guy. And mm-hmm. like we were saying earlier, it just kind of seems like the Kings have a little bit more weapons right now, or at least that's how it appears in the first two games. So, you know, he'll have an opportunity to get an open three and just one to go down could change everything. And I do think that you're right. It'll be like a gradual thing. Like maybe he drops 12, you know, in game three or something like that, or game four. It might not even come about, but not much worry, especially when everybody's when everybody else is playing so freaking yeah, well. You, you don't need it. I mean, it would it's, it, him playing well at this point, if everyone else keeps it up, is just 
plus a plus, right? He's yeah, it's just like take your time, kid. Everybody, we got this. Take your time. I know. I, just take imagine if Herder and Murray could, could just be threats from beyond the arc. Really, I mean, they probably have shot what two for twenty this series so far from deep. Like Maybe, yeah, it's been bad. Um, so I imagine they can just get going. Um, I mean, there are leading three point shooters in uh, the regular season, so so you expect out of them. I, I did like seeing Herder. Uh, knowing that he couldn't hit a three, even though he went two for nine, he did. He was trying to, you know, make a point of getting inside, and he was knocking down buckets in the paint and stuff like that, little jumpers, kind of like that. So I was glad to see him, like, know that his jumper wasn't falling, at least from outside the arc, and so he took it in. Uh, I like that maturity by Herder, yeah, which I mean, is something we saw from him all season because he had a yeah. point there, I mean, like where he was kind of just shooting like 30%, maybe not 30, 30, 35% from three for like a month or two. But his scoring never really dropped because, you know, the he is still such a dangerous three-point shooter. He can take advantage and open up other things and mm-hmm. play in the league long enough. I feel like scouting reports were a little, kind of always catching up with him because he, he had such an expanded role and kind of played a way different game this season than he did in Atlanta, but... Yeah, I'm a, I kind of expected Herder to do that. Obviously, you want him to hit the threes because now the Warriors are in trouble if he hits those threes because he had a couple of good looks, but, you know, I don't know. Yeah, Herder, Herder, Herder will be fine. I'm never really worried about him on offense. Defensively, we see. We'll see. But uh, Same with Murray. But uh, mm-hmm. it's just when everybody's playing so freaking well, it's like, oh, you want to take away the DHOs? Like, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> We got another seven or eight guys that are just unstoppable right now, you know? And if they've done a decent job of limiting just, and I think it goes to the DHS of limiting uh, Sabonis' assists, but the guy's a monster on the boards, and he wasn't going to let a poor shooting night deter him from a pretty good shooting night in game two. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Murray can suck all he wants. It just seems like this team's... <laughs> This team's so good right now. They're on a mission, dude. They're playing like it. Yeah, and I, I think this is why it's uh, so we, – we were so uncertain of what the Kings were going to do in the playoffs. I think it's so interesting because we've seen what they've done in the playoffs at home in one of the most incredible environments that each of those guys have ever played in, You know, talking about how deafening it is in the words of Mike Brown or how it gives guys chills in the words of Harrison Barnes. Um, it'll be another first going at, uh, the Warriors in San Francisco. Um, it's another uncertainty, but you have to feel pretty good watching these Kings play, uh, in the playoffs right now. They're, they're, they're surprising everybody, even Kings fans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I would not have guessed they were going to be up 2-0 at this point in the series. And uh, the Kings, it's an interesting kind of uh, kind of thing with the two Northern California teams, the one team that uh, is coming off so many years of success, a dynasty, and then a team kind of rising from the ashes, as it were. And, uh, you know, Warriors fans, the sense I get from Warriors fans is that they still feel pretty, I mean, of course they feel pretty confident in the series. It's only been two games. They haven't played at home yet. Like the old wisdom says, 
The series doesn't start until a team wins on the road. Um, Warriors fans have not lost hope in this series, but damn, a lot of them have lost hope. And the idea of winning a championship, uh, it, even if the Warriors can eke it out in this series, it's like the sustainability of them is just, uh, it deserves to be questioned. And uh, I don't know. I, I think the, the way the Kings are playing, the, the way the Kings are just mat, you know, outlasting their energy and their their uh, kind of focus late in the game. Because the Warriors have been, they just look tired. They make stupid mistakes all the time, and they've done that early in the ball game all season. But it's just like, experience doesn't seem like it matters. They just seem a little, a little gassed. So... I don't know. None of that should be a reason, though, to take your foot off the gas if you're the Kings, obviously. But I think that's what makes this series so fun is even after two games, it's like, well, what happens next? Like Nobody knows. Like This series could easily go 2-2. I would also wouldn't be surprised if the Kings sweep, you know? At this point, anything can freaking happen. And that's just, that's just good. And that makes for a good series. Mm-hmm. I'm just stating the obvious there, but <laughs> the Kings are up 2 0. They've looked good. They could sweep. They could not. We'll see. They might win the championship. They might, you know, hell, they might get the first overall pick in the draft next month in a couple months. <laughs> I don't know. They treat Sabonis and Fox for Victor Wimbayana. Uh, I don't even know if that's correct. I, I just call him Wimby. <laughs> As everyone does. I think yeah. it's, it's Giannis and to, it's the Greek freak. It's Giannis. Yeah. I'm not going to spell that name out. <laughs> it's difficult. Ridiculous. It is tough. It is tough. But, well, well we anything more? else? Is that it? We kind of touched upon everything. It's only. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's interesting. We rolled a lot of topics into one. I think it was a good substantive t- discussion. Yeah, I like that. That was good. Um, <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter what we think. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, I think I think it was a good discussion. It, it's, I mean, just very, you know, it's been a fun season and playoffs are exciting right now. And I hope you guys can sense our excitement for it too. It's been it's mm-hmm. been a great series so far. Can't wait for and tomorrow. Personally, personally, as much as I was talking about how the hope for the Warriors going forward is lessening as you see the load kind of take its toll on Steph Curry and you're seeing Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kaminga, and others not step up and take the torch as they talked about at the beginning of the season. I mean, hell, they traded Wiseman away. Um, I mean, why not at that point? He's garbage. But... um. Yeah, I don't know. I, I the whole idea of like, is this going to be a rivalry? Like, I don't think it can be. These teams they seem like they're on different. After two games, anything can happen. It just appears that uh, as much as I want this to become a rivalry that goes forward, it just seems like there's two different directions right now. Oh, I mean, of course, and it's just the Warriors' ages. I mean, if the Warriors want to make it a rivalry, they're gonna. Wiseman would have had to be good, and Jordan Poole would really have to be that next big guy. I mean, Draymond, Clay, and Steph—they're not like. I mean, they're definitely on the next step of their careers. I mean, they're still good players. Steph's still an All Star. 
mean, Clay's not an all-star anymore. Draymond's not an all-star. They're just, you know, it's part of life. You get older and you retire. And yeah, they're definitely on the latter end of their career. I'm not saying their play is that way. I mean, definitely not what it used to be. But, um, yeah, the rivalry can't really happen. The Kings, the future is now, you know, and the Kings are the future. They're young. They're built for future success. Or the Warriors are, I don't know. I don't see them winning the finals. I'm still amazed they even won the finals last year, to be honest. Like, how? Not how. I just thought they were done. I'm just like, after that five straight finals or whatever they had, and they go out of it for like two years, two, three years, and then they go back and win it. What? Yeah. And that, that's got to be like one of the craziest things to happen and props to them. But it's just like, man, that really like instilled that fan base, especially Jordan Poole. And of course, it's not over with Jordan Poole, but the guy signed a big contract, had a really inefficient year. Uh, it just, I don't know. It's interesting because you hear like Clay Thompson talking about the Grizzlies or even Draymond Green got asked. It's like, do you feel like this Kings team is like you guys in like 2013, 2014? Draymond's just like, you can make that comparison about anybody. Like you actually got to do it. And it's like in that same light, I don't know what Warriors fans were expecting. Are they just expecting Poole, Wiseman, and Kaminga to just become Steph, Clay, and Draymond? Like, it's hard. It's difficult. Yeah, but it is. It's an interesting moment in, in NBA kind of, I don't want to say history, but an interesting moment in the NBA in history. Okay, I'll say it. In NBA history. It's an interesting moment in Northern California sports right now. Um, it's crazy. Very interesting time. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the series shifting over to the Bay Area. I would love to have the Kings like signify like the decline of the dynasty too. Because yeah. I mean, I mean, clearly they they came on at a, a good time to do it with the aging superstars. But I mean, after especially after living in North, Northern California or Sacramento forever and watching the Warriors fan or watching the Warriors be so good and Sacramento bandwagoners, you know, become Warriors bandwagoners and stuff. And it's just like, yeah, it's our time now. And we're going to show you <laughs> exactly why. And the King is showing them that it's showing them that this series. Yeah. And also it's just like, and this point almost feels more warranted if the Kings were down O2 as kind of like a, they're there, but it's like, Four California teams in the playoffs. What a, What's the one California team that's going to be in the playoffs for the next three seasons for sure? It's going to be the Kings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And even looking at the like Pacific Division, the West, it's just like the Kings are kind of like in a win. They're not in a win now mode. I mean, in a way they are, but it's that mixed with stuff down the road. And I don't know. Again, it's a nice opportunity to be like, hey, Monty McNair. Way to reorient to, uh, the direction of this uh, franchise because, uh, man, we're talking about a bandwagon royalty is a potentiality coming into this year, and it is really coming in, coming, coming in now. I just feel like people are finally talking about Fox, you know, like Stephen A. Smith talking about him, just letting everybody know that he's never watched him before game one <laughs> of this series, and and others doing the same thing. 
some people have been forthcoming about it. Like, yeah, like nobody pays attention to the Kings because they had to show what they're doing in the playoffs first. Whatever the mumbo jumbo is, it's regardless of how long it took people to get behind the Kings, that bandwagon royalty is really starting to kind of take shape now. Um, so I get used to that, Kings fans. People, and I think that's just the sign of a fun team, a team that people want to get behind. You know? Yeah, they are. So, they are a fun team. It's incredible. It's been awesome to watch. But we're gonna we're gonna come back next week. It's like, well, the, the <laughs> series is tied. You took know? a turn. They're down three two. And that could definitely freaking happen. It could totally happen. So, uh, oh yeah, I mean, I'm not. I mean, of course, and especially going back or going on the road, the Warriors going back home, like they could easily do exactly what the Kings did and win their home games. Yep. I guess at the end of the day, luckily the Kings are the home team. They have the home field advantage in this series because I guess that'll help out if it goes to a game seven. But yeah, I I mean, if if it's 2-2 by the time we talk next, next week, it's, I wouldn't be, I would be upset, (laughs) but I wouldn't be like surprised. Right. Yeah. I think um, Kenny Smith, Kenny the Jet Smith, uh, before the game was like, this is a must win for the Kings. And uh, game two. And like, I, I, I agreed. You know, it's it, they had to they had to take care of business. They have to put themselves in a position where they take advantage of that home court and really build that confidence because it's like if they lost game two. The Warriors are going back home. It just feels like the momentum would be totally somewhere else. And the Kings have just hogged it. And that's what they had to do. As Mike Brown has, has said various points this season, you got to play greedy. And they have played very greedy uh, so far in this series, which is a great thing to see. Yeah, it's been great. But that's enough about that. That's enough about that. Is that it? Is there anything else you want to talk about? Okay. We we milked out the last 10 minutes there. There's <laughs> <laughs> hey, a lot to be said about this series. Um, and like we've said several times, game three tomorrow night at 7 at the Chase Center. The Kings are actually doing a watch party at the Golden 1 Center. Um, not sure if tickets are sold out. They're free. Um, so you can actually go into a the Golden 1 Center during a playoff game. Uh, and not spend any money to get in at least, although it will just be on the big screen. Um, it would be fun, though. I, I actually got some tickets. They're like floor-level seats. Like, that would just be cool to go down there and just... I mean, I don't even, I don't even know if you want floor-level seats for like a watch party. We just have to like look up at the screen the whole time. <laughs> but I guess, like, I don't know. It would be just kind of cool to be that close if you've never sat that close to the court before. So... That'll be fun. I bet that's going to be an electric atmosphere. And it's going to be an electric atmosphere at the Chase Center for the Warriors fans and see how the see how the Kings respond in adversity. They've been doing it well all year, and I hope they can continue that trend. Well said, yeah. Are you going to the watch party? I have tickets. Um, I might. I might not. Trying to get that resale value? Yeah, sell them. Yeah, I got watch party tickets. They're floor level. to tick. Or it'd be hella funny if you were just like hella pumped. Like, yeah, I got these for free and I I flipped them for 20 bucks. Like, that's pretty big, pretty big turnaround, man. Big 
turnover or profit or whatever the freaking word is. Yeah. Yeah. It would be a big, good margin. I don't know the exact percentage. 2000% markup. Yeah. I have no don't idea. Ask, don't ask me about the numbers. Yeah, me either. But let's go rip off some know. kids with it, though. Be like, these are tickets for game six. Game <laughs> five. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, floor level. 20 grand each. E40 is going to sit next to you. Uh, okay, did E40 get to come back for game two, or is he not allowed in? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't read up on this, but I think I if the Warriors know. fans can get mad about anything, I, I don't know why E40 has gone to all these playoff atmospheres and all these settings and never once got ejected from a game, but he goes to one in Sacramento and gets ejected. That was weird. Yeah, what, that was E40. Weird. That's that guy. That guy had his one of the best careers in rap, and especially like not just Bay Area rap, California West Coast rap. Like this is one of the best ever. That just seemed kind of kind of wrong. Yeah, that was weird. Excessive standing is what they're quoting. He wouldn't, he wouldn't sit down. Excessive oh. standing. He wouldn't sit. I mean, you can do what you want. I guess I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of interested because they're the Kings are investigating this. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see like what comes out because that is kind of odd. You can't just kick out like a, like I get it. He's like the biggest Warriors fan out there and he's made it known. It's like, you just, it's like kicking Spike Lee out of like Indiana or something. It's like, we don't no, like yeah. Spike. See ya. Like you pay for a ticket and you can do what he wants to a point, you know? And I, I think standing is one of those things you can do. Yeah. I just think. Because he's like at the end of the bench. So it's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> Free E40. That's what I say. Free 40 Well, he'll, I'm pretty sure he'll be there Wednesday, if anything. If he's not busy, I don't know. He gets kicked out of the chase center. Everybody's like, oh, okay, well, that explains it. Oh, he just isn't. A, he's an excessive stander. Dude, E, we told you. You can't. You, you got to sit, dude. <laughs> E40. Excessive I love standing. him. I love him. But all right. Do you have anything else to wrap this up with? Hey, man, we touched on E40. I think we touched on everything. I agree. We touched on E40. We touched on everything. I want to thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm excited for tomorrow. I'm assuming all of you are as well. And until then, we'll probably talk to you next week. And until then, have a good one.